Welcome to Beyond Carbon, the podcast where we find out how investors are thinking about climate change, sustainability, ESG, and a whole range of related issues beyond carbon. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Carbon. This is Chris Ito, and today George Dyer and I are going to go way beyond carbon with our guest, Major League Baseball player Brent Suter. For those who might be a casual fan of baseball, Brent is a left-handed pitcher for the Colorado Rockies. He was just signed by the Rockies this past offseason after spending the first seven years of his major league career with the Milwaukee Brewers. And for you baseball fans out there, we do spend a little bit of time at the end of our chat talking about the art of pitching. But our talk today is really going to be focused on Brent's other passion, which is sustainability and how sports in general and athletes in particular can bring people together on a lot of really tough issues that I think have become polarizing in our society like climate change. So we hope you'll enjoy hearing about how Brent got interested in the environment. Uh, He talks a little bit about some of his interactions with teammates in his clubhouse when he tries to convince them uh, that climate change is real, for example. And we talk more in depth about an organization with whom he is deeply involved with called Players for the Planet, which is a group of professional athletes from all over the world who have come together to promote uh, sustainable causes like renewable energy and reducing waste. Given that the start of the season is right around the corner, uh, we thought that there was no better person from the sports world to have on than Brent Suter. And we're happy he was able to carve out some time from his workout schedule to talk with us today. So enjoy this chat with left-handed pitcher and environmental advocate, Brent Suter. Well, welcome to the podcast, Brent. Really happy that you're able to join us. And this is really exciting for me anyway, being a, a sports junkie. And it's great to have a fellow Ohioan on. I think you're the pride of Cincinnati Moeller. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And I sure am. I graduated in 2008 from Archbishop Moeller High School in uh, Montgomery, Cincinnati. So yeah, uh, we just actually had a fun event there for the baseball program last week and uh, try to stay in touch with that school as much as possible because they they do some great things. Yeah, nice, nice. And George, you and I have not discussed sports fandom all that much, but who's your uh, Major League Baseball team that you follow? Well, I'm from Boston, so socks, born and bred. But uh, Brad, thanks so much for joining us. This is really exciting and so excited to hear about your work kind of combining the sports world and the uh, environmental world. Yeah. Yeah, so, thank you. I mean, given, given that we have, uh, you know, America's favorite pastime starting soon, I think this is an opportunity for us to really go beyond carbon, so to speak, right? The title of the podcast. Yeah. And we want to also go beyond investing and, you know, have a discussion that really touches on the intersection of sports and society, and maybe more specifically, you know, the connection between sports and environmental issues such as as climate change. And, you know, we thought, Brent, you know, who better than you than to, you know, share with us and, and our audience your thoughts on the topic, really from your perch as a professional athlete and the work you've done, you know, off the field with players for the planet, as well as you know, your old team, the the Milwaukee Brewers? Yeah, um, I definitely think it's a vital intersection. Uh, sports has an ability to bring so many people together from different backgrounds, different ideologies, you know, all over the political spectrum come and tune in to games. And I think it's really important for us athletes to use our platforms as a way to kind of bring that unification and to like 
and spread awareness of issues. And my issue for sure has been uh, environmental awareness and environmental action. And it's a big pressing issue on our times and uh, on our whole planet. And there are solutions that are right there in reach. Uh, we just got to start kind of breaking the old mold or getting some, out of some bad old habits and, and really start some changes that you know are systemic, but really not impossible to achieve could go a long way in, uh, in curbing the climate crisis for sure. But yeah, sports has a very big power to bring people together. And uh, I've been trying to use that as my kind of a bridge to bring people along for the environmental uh, awareness and action. Absolutely. That's awesome. And Brian, I'd love to hear just kind of on a personal level, how that interest developed for you over the years. And, um, you know, our organization works a lot with colleges and universities. So I'd love to hear if your time at Harvard kind of influenced that at all. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I wanted to mention with the Red Sox, I love Boston, uh, love being up there and going. It was was so cool. But uh, yeah, it started in uh, 2006. I saw An Inconvenient Truth, uh, the Al Gore documentary when it came out. My mom and I watched it and I was just like, something hit my heart and hit my soul deep on that one. I was like, what is going on? Like these problems are serious, you know what I mean? And um, I knew from that moment on, I wanted to study uh, environmental science or some kind of environmental sciences in, in college and use it. In, in my professional life, whether it be, you know, using it, I didn't know I was going to go be a big leaguer at the time and use it as that platform, but I knew I wanted to go in the environmental realm in some, in some capacity. So having been able to, you know, have a baseball career on the 11th or 12th season, uh, been using that platform and just, it keeps on building, you know what I mean? Like my passions, I keep on finding new, new things to explore and new like, programs I fall in love with and new organizations I fall in love with. So it's really been an exciting journey of like, not just my personal environmental journey, but like finding these groups and people that are just doing amazing things. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, Brent, before we get into a deeper discussion of the work you're doing for players for the planet, and maybe you could expound upon what what you started talking about earlier, which is, you know, sports and society and athletes having, you know, the platform I guess I'll just make an observation, right? In in and I find in a lot of ways the environmental movement and George, even you know, people in our space, which is around sustainable investing, you know, we don't go to conferences, we participate in events, go to webinars where you have a lot of, you know, people preaching to the choir, right? And but for us to really as a society to be impactful solve all the problems that that you started to touch on Brent you know we I think mm-hmm. we have to change people's opinions right in terms of yeah. people who might be in denial about climate or don't think the issues around the planet and the planetary boundaries are are issues that are critical to address and I you know again I I think celebrities and sports figures in particular you know, can be really influential in making, you know, behavioral change. So, I mean, just in terms of your experience, you know, as an athlete, you know, what, what role do you think athletes should and could play? Right. Or I guess, I guess maybe I should reverse that. It's what role could and should they play? And I think about the comment that Charles Barkley had made years ago, right. That says, I am not a role model. I don't know if you remember that. That that created a lot of controversy. So, you know, how do you, how do you think about that as a as a professional athlete and what your role and responsibility is? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, well, first and foremost, I, I hope that more athletes, especially the big name ones with big followings and big time pull uh, on the national scale, start getting on this movement, getting more environmental advocacy out there. Because, you know, the fact I hate to say it, but the fact that I'm one of the premier big leaguers to talk on this issue I'm I'm a middle reliever <laughs> you know I mean? I'm not like a big name so uh that it's probably you know I wish like the 
some of the bigger, bigger names are out there doing a lot of this stuff, but, uh, and, and so, to some respect they are, you know I mean? we got a lot of guys in the Dominican, Nelson Cruz, Robinson Cano are doing some really cool things in Dominican setting up recycling centers and doing a lot of reforestation efforts through players for the planet. But for sure, I, uh, I wish, and, and I hope that more of the general population of baseball, football, basketball, hockey players really start getting on this movement and, um, really start pulling their audience or like, start bringing some people that really love them and adore them or whatever, and bring them into the environmental realm and say, Hey, guys, just do this and do this and support this. And let's see what happens kind of thing. Like that would be definitely the dream situation here. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's one of those things, like the more we can get talking about it, I found that conversations and then people like being consistent in your actions, not showing like hypocrisy, but really doing, you know, walking the walk, not just talking the talk in your daily actions, your devotion to, Keeping minimal trash, you know, eat your know, your diet, your, your reusable water bottles, all that stuff can can really make an impact on people's opinions of the situation and the view and all that stuff. And they oftentimes they go hand in hand. Yeah, I'm curious to that point. Uh, you know, as you talk about getting more athletes involved, what are sort of the the typical reactions in the in the dugout or in the clubhouse when you bring up these issues with other players? Are they mostly receptive or kind of a mix? Uh, it's a mix. Um, it's definitely a mix. I get called the L word a lot, liberal a lot because I'm, <laughs> I'm talking these, uh, these ideas and they're just like, Oh, so here we go. But I try not to be, I don't want to go off the reservation or off the go, go crazy on that. Um, so that they like totally dismiss my points, but I, I want to be able to joke around with them and be like, Oh yeah. Yeah. But Hey, listen to me. Yeah. I mean, I might be a little bit different from your opinions or what you're seeing on your, you know, social media feed, but I think mm-hmm. there's some truth to this and having good discussions about that. Maybe throw in some, you know, eye-opening facts here and there, but just talk about where we are as a society, like what we're doing, maybe some crazy stats thrown in there and then what we can do to help. And then guys, guys start listening. And certainly the best is when guys ask me when they come up and they say like, Hey, why are you carry that bottle everywhere? Why do you not eat red meat? Or why are you, why are you doing this meatless Monday thing? Or why are you doing why are you driving an electric car? Like what, what's going on here? So all that stuff, mm-hmm. that's when I really can get some, maybe some buddies here when they're, you know, they approach me is when best conversations happen. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a great point when it's personal and you can kind of take the politics out of it, particularly in this day and age when the politics are yeah. so kind of polarized, but this really shouldn't be a political issue, right? I mean, it's, just, yeah. we're all in this together kind of thing. So no doubt. yeah, I think that personal role model piece is, is big. Yeah. Yep. And, and also, you know, being able to sort of meet people where they are and try to trying to find common ground where you can. Yep. And, and I think that, you know, it goes to the challenges of what is the best way to communicate some of these issues? Is it been, you know, meet people where they are or some people think, hey, we've got to be more alarmist, right? Calling it climate emergency. And um, it seems that you're suggesting that anyway in the in the clubhouse and and with the you know the folks that that you interact with on a daily basis it's certainly more with the hey we got to find common ground first yes yeah yeah meeting people where they are is is big especially baseball tends to be you know a little bit more uh, especially american guys maybe leaning a little bit more conservative than maybe other sports leagues uh so definitely meeting people where they are and you know maybe cutting through the, all the jest and then really getting down like at some point saying like hey this is where we're at you know we got approximately 60 harvests left if we keep farming like this before we just out of food, out of topsoil, you know what I mean? So stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, definitely meeting people where they are is, is the best. Yeah. 
Maybe you can get into a little bit about Players for the Planet. I came across it through our mutual friend a few years ago, really intrigued by it. Just to, you know, give us a sense of, of what it is and, and what you're doing there. Yeah. So it was founded by Chris Dickerson in the late uh, 2000s, and I think 2008 or 2009, when he was actually a member with the Cincinnati Reds right here in my hometown of Cincinnati. And he just saw this trash in the dugout. He's like, what? I, we got to do something about this and started this organization. And we've got, shoot, I don't know how many, probably 60 big leaguers, some NFL guys, some NHL, maybe a couple NBA guys in there uh, that just, they want their, you know, their position to be known that we care about the planet. We want to, we want to help. They do a lot of cleanups down in the Dominican Republic. They have a big one in December that I've been to two times. And then they have some throughout the winter season when minor league uh, Dominican players are out there and they help clean up the beaches and all that. They do an uh, electronic waste drive throughout the year, which saves a ton of waste. Uh, they work hand in hand with the MLB sustainability office on diverting all waste that they can from landfills and uh, recycling hubs and compost. And they do a lot of, a lot of cool stuff with our uh, like reforestation efforts. They partnered with one tree planet this past year and every player that was part of the program set like a bar. So mine was like, however many team wins we had, I'm going to plant 50 trees. And so, you know, we do those planting. We had a planting in Milwaukee where we planted some of those trees right in uh, downtown Milwaukee in, in an urban garden, which was great. And then we planted the West, the rest in uh, Western Wisconsin. So some really cool programs like that, where it's just trying to like, trying to say, Hey, we're giving, we're trying to be part of the solution here. We're, we're putting our money where our mouth is a little bit and, and getting some trees in the ground and helping offset some of this, this carbon. But we know we're, as a league and as a society, we're still way, way in debt for our how much carbon we're putting out as opposed to what we're sequestering. But it's a great program. It's a great organization. And uh, they do some really cool things. That's very cool. How, how much um, of a focus is there? How much ability does the organization have to kind of try to reach the fans with some of this? Is there uh, opportunities to do that? Yeah. I mean, we get some good engagement with uh, our social media posts. Certainly Place of the Planet does a good job of getting good stuff out there and, and tagging us. And we, we, try to respond in kind with doing a lot of engagement with the fans. And so it's pretty good. You know, uh, Earth Day is a big day for us. We do a lot of activities and posting on, on Earth Day for sure. But it's a lot of high profile guys that are in, in the organization. Some are more active than others. I'll say that. Uh, but yeah, it's been been really cool to meet uh, some of the other guys just through players for the planet with, you know, not through any other means, but just like connecting because we both, we all care about the planet. So uh that's been a lot of fun, and I got quite a quite a few guys to join from uh, Brewers team, which was really cool to see. Because then hopefully they're going to get more guys to join, and it'll just be a big Earth party. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, more. We got some more. We got some more work to do, and some more programs to be had. But that's really cool. And I also got to give a shout out to Urban Ecology Center, is another organization I work with in Milwaukee. Who they have three sites in Milwaukee that they've turned from industrial wasteland into like vibrant natural parks, and they bring local kids uh, in the in the surrounding areas to those parks and get them you know experienced with nature and environmental mentors and all that. And they do some awesome things. So I'm on that board and uh, I'm trying to help that organization as much as possible. And still still on the board even though I got shipped off or I got traded to Colorado. But uh, they do some awesome stuff too. So those are the players for the planet and Urban Ecology Center have been the more two of the more important organizations for me to get to know. Yeah, that's great. You, you have plans to continue um, some of these efforts or similar efforts once you get to uh, settled in Denver? 
Absolutely. I have a Zoom. Uh, actually, this time next week, I'll be on a Zoom call with a bunch of environmental leaders out in uh, Denver, some from CU Boulder, but others from you know the, some nonprofits in the Denver area and trying to get get some things in the ground, maybe get some some trees in the ground uh, or something going. Some kind of programs would be awesome. But uh, yeah, definitely Denver's very much you know environmentally friendly or environmentally conscious area in general so it should be mm-hmm. should be a little little haven for me out there i hope <laughs> <laughs> george we should look to see if we've got some connections at cu boulder yeah well i was just thinking actually when you mentioned it the sustainability director out there i know is pretty involved with green sports alliance for yes. a while and i saw that they're a partner of players for the planet and yeah. I, I know you're on the board and not sort of involved with the day-to-day so i don't know how much you know about that partnership but um yeah, do you have a sense of kind of how those organizations are working together? I know that's a great relationship. You know, Green Sports Alliance mm-hmm. and Players of the Planet do a lot together. Um, and I've always admired Green Sports Alliance. They just do things really, really well. Great organization, top to bottom. And just whenever they step in, it's like, oh, we got Green Sports Alliance is on it. We're, we're golden, you know what I mean? So <laughs> just I think it's awesome. And, uh, yeah, I, I would love to connect with their there are people out in Denver as well. That'd be great. Mm. Yeah, that's great. We'll, uh, we'll connect you, set you up there with uh, Dave Newport as the sustainability director at Boulder and is pretty involved with that stuff. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. Maybe you can comment a little bit about, you know, the organizations themselves, right? The the professional sports franchises. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw, but it was a couple of weeks ago, the Houston Texans came to an agreement yeah. with Occidental uh, regarding uh, carbon offsets from their direct air, air capture facility. So, you see this as mm-hmm. an activity that you know these teams should get in, engaged with to you know offset maybe not just their team travel but maybe even the travel back and forth from the fans to to the games. So how do you how do you see yeah. the organizations being in, involved in this effort? They could be incredibly helpful for sure. And I know my experience with the Brewers was they were awesome, uh, nothing but helpful on all that, but. Having the organizations themselves partner with carbon offset programs or tree planting programs would be insanely awesome. That would be a dream come true. So yeah, the Texans, I'm interested to see how that partnership shakes out, but I'm really excited about the possibilities of that kind of being a trendsetter for other organizations. I know when the SC Johnson Milwaukee Brewers partnership was set up for the like upcycling program from plastic cups in the stadiums, I know a lot of other teams were contacting SC Johnson saying, Hey, we want to get involved. Hey, you know, this is awesome. We, do you have any partners, maybe corporate partners we could partner with here, if it, not you and all that stuff. So, you know, when you're the first through the the wall, sometimes you can get bloody, but some other times you can be like the hero and everyone wants to be just like you. So maybe that's what the Texan partnership is like, but yeah, I'm all, I'm all about offset and doing what we can to pay back mother nature for what we're, we're taking from with our flights and with our consumption. Hey, if we, um, if we think about maybe getting back to players for the planet a little bit, and I want to try to make a connection between players with the planet and college athletes and how they yeah. might be able to get involved, especially with NIL, right? I mean, NIL name, image, and likeness for, for those in the audience who are not familiar, you know, it's a way for players to college athletes to get compensated for their name, image, and likeness. Admittedly, it's a little bit the Wild West, but now you have a lot of these major athletic programs or universities that have affiliate foundations, right? I think they're called collaboratives for the purpose of raising money from boosters and providing some of those funds 
to athletes who are willing to represent the interests of other nonprofits. And so, you know, have you guys thought about as you're thinking about growing players for the planet, potentially to college athletes to utilize NIL in in some way? Yeah, absolutely. We were definitely in talks with that in Milwaukee for some of the surrounding schools there, UWM, Marquette. I know we were trying to get get some things going there. I'm, I'm not sure what the latest was on it, but Chris Dickerson, the founder and you know head of Players for the Planet is certainly on it. You know, he's well aware that college athletes are really valuable in a lot of ways. Uh, they are very influential, uh, some big time influential, and they oftentimes, let's face it, like they oftentimes care or more aware of environmental problems than maybe pros are in, in some respects. So yeah, they are incre- an incredibly you know, invaluable resource that at this point is, yeah, definitely still untapped as far as like what players of the planet could be doing. But I know there are some really good organizations out there, uh, some, you know, environmental programs with, with colleges that are, that are good, but yeah, players of the planet, we could definitely get on there uh, more. And I think it's in the works, but I don't know the latest. Yeah. I mean, I just think that that it's a, just having some conversations with, you know, student groups on campus who are advocating for environmental, better sustainability in the way that endowments are managed, you know, how do you get support from the broader university community to do that? And in many of these larger public universities, I mean, your your parents were were student athletes at Penn State, I think, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. now how do you begin to put those two things together, give the student athletes opportunities, but also allow them to, you know, advocate for, for a cause that that's important. So just think that there's many different ways you can, you can expand this. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Players for the planet isn't like flowing in endowment money or anything like that. So we wouldn't necessarily be paying the athletes or finding a way to pay the athletes, but maybe it could be some type of vehicle on that exchange for sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's really about the collectives in the and, mm-hmm. not, and not that I'm so familiar with this, but I think it's the collectives that raise the money, and the collectives are the ones yeah. that actually do the funding. So, if Players for the Planet mm-hmm. had the ability to put the athletes sort of to to work and just simply raising awareness, some of that funding could come right. from the individual collectives. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Brent, we don't want to take too much of your time here, but I'm curious, just one more question about, um, you mentioned, I think the MLB sustainability office and collaborating with them. And um, I wonder if you could kind of expand on that. And, and also if the, do the individual teams typically have sustainability programs or kind of how does that all work between the teams, the stadiums, the league on some of these issues? So there's the sustainability office in the MLB offices uh, in New York. And I've visited with them a couple of times. They're awesome people. They just, I would say they are for what, where we need to go or want to go, there's not just not enough people there yet, not not a big enough division yet, but mm-hmm. uh, certainly growing and certainly doing some great things. Um, and then some teams, so like I know some teams have sustainability coordinators or some type of person overseeing this. The Brewers were had a guy not totally devoted to that, but that was part of his title was he was getting ready to you know lead the sustainability council, which was launched last year, which is really really exciting. I know the Giants do some incredible things they've gotten the green glove award like almost every year of the last decade because they do a lot of a lot of really good environmental stuff i know that the nationals are doing some great stuff the mariners too so there there are some organizations out there that they're bound to have people that are devoted to i just don't know if they're completely devoted to sustainability efforts uh but mm-hmm. certainly as part of their top title to you know 
help the organization be more sustainable and, and try to snag some green gloves. So it's cool to see some of the, the teams doing that. As far as the coordination with the sustainability uh, office, oftentimes there's really good kind of coordination. Or I saw firsthand good coordination with between the brewers and the sustainability office, like seamless, like everyone was on the same page. So mm-hmm. really, really easy there. No conf- confrontation or really even disagreements on any of those. It was just it was seamless and really easy to work with everybody. That's great. Very cool. Hey, Brent, I'm not don't want to suggest that, you know, your career, your professional baseball career would come to an end anytime soon. But, you know, what what do you think you're you're going to be involved with when your playing career ends? What do you what do you sort of envision yourself yourself doing? Yeah, I'm probably going to work for Exxon Mobil. I'm going to sorry. Uh, I'm, I definitely want to go in the either sustainable energy or, or renewable energy or sustainability arena. I don't know if that looks like consulting for maybe corporations or maybe even, you know, to try to join on some type of basis, the MLB sustainability office or, or uh, maybe a coordinator or something like that for a baseball team. Just taking things that I know well, baseball and sustainability and trying to combine those would be great. But I don't know exactly how what what that looks like but i know i want to stay involved in this far past baseball you know long past baseball i want it to be it's going to be my number one number two passion after my family post-career so just want to make sure um, i'm staying involved and staying staying part of the solution rather than being part of the problem very cool so it, we would be remiss if we didn't give our listeners a little bit of a chance to hear a little baseball talk I think at, at the end. So yep. maybe you could give us a little bit of a scouting report on Brent Suter, the the left-handed pitcher. So what what would your yeah. scouting what would your scouting report read? Yeah, absolutely. I got I don't throw hard. Uh, I'll say that I'll start that off well below average in the velo compartment. But um, I have a cutter. My four seam looks like a four seam fastball, but it kind of has a rise cut to it. So it's kind of two player movement into, into righties, which I get a lot of miscontact with change up was a ton better pitch last year. It's usually eight to 10 miles an hour off my fastball and kind of fading down arm side. And then I have a, a slider and, and two seamer as well. Uh, kind of going slider goes glove side and, and sinks. And then the uh, two seamer kind of rides up and goes arm side. So I kind of have four pitches that ideally go, this way, you know, one boing boing boing. So for those who couldn't see the video, up right, up left, <laughs> down right, down left. <laughs> so that's that's the ideal of what I can do, and just try to execute those pitches as best I can. Because I've I've found that you really want to have two planer movement, especially if you're not throwing 95 plus. You want to have things that go side to side and up up and down as as far as the hitter's concerned. So. Um, I'm a guy who likes to get out there and, and work quickly. Um, I have one of the slowest or the lowest uh, time between pitches in, in baseball just because I want to get the ball and go not too fast, but uh, fast enough where I'm kind of I'm setting the pace of the game and I'm staying within myself. And then I try to throw a lot of strikes. I try to attack the zone uh, as best as I can and, and get quick outs and get in the dugout and watch the offense do their thing. So uh, and I'll throw anywhere uh, in the game. I'll throw high leverage late. I'll throw you know, the scrap innings early, late, be a long reliever. Uh, I can go like three, four innings if, if need be. I sometimes mix in starts. So I'll just kind of do it all, whatever they need me to do. I'll take the ball. So uh, that's kind of been my role the last several years. Before Tommy John, I got Tommy John in 2018. 
before I got that surgery, I was mostly starting in the big leagues. Uh, And then after that, we had a couple of young guys just absolutely go crazy in their development and, and come back. And so when I was healthy from Tommy John, I was like, well, rotation is like eight deep right now. Why don't you go to the bullpen and see what you can do? And I, I pitched well enough out of the bullpen to, to stay there. But yeah, I like to take the ball whenever and try to get some outs. So cool. What's what's the offseason look like for you? Getting ready for spring training and just kind of a lot of workouts and yes. family time, that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's been kind of busy. I had some, I've had some speeches and I wrote a book last year called the Binky Bandit. I've got several readings coming up in schools and at like clubs around the, around the area here, just book readings and book signings and all that stuff. But yeah, other than that, it's a lot of family time. I train, you know, four or five days a week, uh, four times up at a facility here in Cincinnati and starting to throw uh, some lives next week. So I'll be facing hitters next Friday at the facility, trying to get a bunch of guys from the area to go and and give me some good looks and get them some good looks, hopefully for live VPs. And then we leave February 13th. So the day after the Super Bowl, hopefully the day after the Bengals win the Super Bowl would be great. <laughs> uh, we will find Arizona. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's the last couple of weeks of a great off season. Yeah. So Sam nice. Hubbard, is, is Sam Hubbard a friend of yours being a molar guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, so I went to school with his brother. His brother was my same class and I was really good friends with his cousin and and brother in high school we were in all the same classes so i'd go over to their house and watch sam running around as like a sixth seventh grader uh and everyone was like you he's a real good athlete i was like hey he looks at he's you know he's a really really fast kid and uh i remember watching him play in in football and uh winning back-to-back state titles i think as a you know junior senior and he was like really good but he came back and we were both watching our cousins play basketball like a year and a half after he graduated and he was like 70 pounds heavier and just jacked you know what i mean like just, they went to ohio state his freshman year and just got absolutely huge so you know i was like sam like what the heck so uh he's a guy uh he's been just such a good role model for so many kids in the area uh just local guy local boy done good kind of thing so super happy for him he comes from a great family uh his, uh, his parents and brother and sister are awesome so he's uh definitely well deserving everything he's getting it's great well i will say brent that uh you know, you're uh, you're certainly quite the role model yourself. It's been a real thrill for for us to have you on and you know talk about how athletes can be impactful with these big challenges that we face as a society. So, really, really appreciate the time and, and the perspectives um, today. Yeah, thanks so much. This has been so cool, and uh, yeah, I wish you all the best for a great season. And, and for um, for for our listeners, if you want more information on brent and players for the planet you can go to playersfortheplanet.org and find out more information or how to get involved so thanks a lot good luck with the season we'll be watching for you and, and wishing you well awesome thank you so much for having me guys it's been a blast